0: Just go to Indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Hey, this is Megan Rapinoe. And I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our
2: crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A touch more.
0: New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts.
2: Welcome to episode 195 of the Barcelona podcast, home to the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network and sponsor betonline.ag. Hit that subscription button to be first to listen to the hottest takes on the biggest stories coming out of the Camp NO. I'm Dan Hilton, and I am again joined by Frances Tomas, Barcelona columnist featured on ESPN, Barcelona blog, and many others. How's it going today, Frances? Hola, Gules.
1: Um, it's going all right. It's going all right. Obviously, um, lockdown seems to be easing here in Qatar. And things are things are looking up. Um, Unfortunately, there's something quite big going around the world that I know you want to mention. So go ahead, Dan.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, we do have a pretty nice edition of La Ronda on the docket. To promise to everybody, we're talking Luis Suarez, Antoine Griezmann substitutes, and plenty more because La Liga is returning on June the 11th, and Barca kick off against Mallorca two days later. But as you said, Frances before we get to that, I do want to address something briefly. And you know you are willing to indulge me, and I appreciate that. I I I have been doing a lot of reading and listening the last few days. And yesterday I was looking at our show stats, and like many of our listeners, I am in the United States, and football was certainly way down the list of the things that I and I know many of our listeners were thinking about, particularly this weekend. I recognize that I am quite privileged to be able to sit in my studio here in New York, not on the front lines, still fighting COVID nineteen like many, and. I know we always say we want to be a distraction, but I kept thinking about what we say about politics on the show and how we avoid them and make an effort to avoid them. I don't talk about Catalan politics because I have never lived in Catalonia. I merely do my best to understand what is going on and how that affects the team that we cover and talk about. But I think with what's going on in the U.S. currently, having something to say is obviously political, but I think the silence in this instance is also political. The protests going on around the country I live in may not change anything, but I have the hope that they might. I hope that there is a greater recognition about the systems in this country that have existed since its birth and continue to this day to disenfranchise people of color, particularly the African-American community. This is the largest platform that I have. And I just wanna say that if you don't like me getting political about what's happening in the US, and this is as far as I'm going, but you can then turn off the show and read about the many, many, many injustices against people of color, particularly in the black community, in the United States or whatever country you're listening in because I promise there are skeletons in those closets in those countries too. And I'm not talking about the distant past. I'm talking about even the recent few years. I mean, this decade even. And I was thinking about how I go about considering even the players and careers of certain players that we talk about even on this show. And some of the questions I just want want to pose that it seems that everything is always fluffy and wonderful in the news, especially coming out of Barcelona. But how much better do you think it is for Samuel Umtiti, Usmani Dembele, Nelson Samedo, Junior Firpo, Martin Braithwaite, and even Ansu Fadi than it was for Lillian Thuram or Frank Reichhard? I-, I was thinking about how Raheem Sterling is covered in the English press, how Dembele is covered in the Spanish media. Things don't have to be explicit in word or text because they are built on systems that have flourished because of oppression, and I know many of our listeners agree with me but I think for one of the only times in my professional life, I didn't feel comfortable saying nothing when I have the privilege to have the platform we have. People need to feel uncomfortable, I think, for a minute here. And I know many of our listeners also come to this show for a distraction from all of that. And I look forward to giving that to them now, Frances. But I just did want to start the show. I think even you and I discussed that putting it at the end of the show felt like I was doing a disservice to what I wanted to speak to a little bit. So I appreciate you and listeners taking that time and I'm ready to get with the show.
1: Of course, I mean, I've got very little to add, just that I 1 million percent agree with you. Uh, You're obviously much more articulate than me in this situation. So obviously, that's why you've gone ahead. Uh, This is 2020. This should not be happening. This should not be an issue, but it is. And it needs to be said.
2: Yeah, so we're going to move straight on forward. We appreciate all the listeners for hearing me out and sticking with us. And so let's get right into it. It's a weird pivot, but we're going to do it. I think the easiest way to pivot here is by talking about Lionel Messi. We're talking about somebody that represents Barcelona, that is a leader for Barcelona in all these different ways. This week, it has been reported that this is the week where Messi's contract would have given him an out, something we all don't talk about, but we do have nightmares about at night. And all reports, particularly those from ESPN, indicate that he will be staying at the club. This year marks 20 years at Barcelona in July. He has already renewed his contract eight times since he first signed his professional one in 2005. And Mes- and Francis. it's not necessarily that it's a story that he's staying, but I think it always should be a story that he's saying, particularly in this era where players don't really have an allegiance to a crest, to a badge, and money does talk. But for the man who has more money than anyone else in world football, I'm not actually that surprised that he's staying. But after recent events with the disagreement with former teammate and friend Eric Abidal, and we know how he feels about the current board. There were a little bit of worries, but again, he's putting, not that he and his people are putting this to rest, but it seems like all indications prove that this will not be an issue once again.
1: Of course, and and we should be grateful for that. Um, After 20 years, Messi is now Barca. Um, He is the key protagonist of the most successful era in our history, and he has earned the fact that you know, everyone around the world looks at us and that's that with admiration. Of course, the Cruyff philosophy and the Guardiola leadership in terms of the, our style of play is what attracted most people, especially in the last couple of decades, towards towards Barcelona, towards the Camp Nou. But Messi has taken that to the very next level and having him another year is, is just fantastic news. He's not just about the history, however. He's still key. He's the pivotal Magnet that keeps everything ticking and and moving forward at Barça and putting things together. Um, without Messi, the whole team would need a remodelation. With Messi, we at least have that focal point, and there the other pieces that need to be moving around him. Uh, I think that you know most people in the world did not expect Messi to leave at this point, but I think the fact that he has actually. Decided to stay and, and, you know, that clause, even though it's open until the 5th of June, it's already confirmed and ESPN has confirmed this as well, that he's not going to, he's not going to trigger it. I think it's great news that we've got another year of Messi. Um, I just don't want people to get complacent and sort of stop looking at the calendar and the years and think that he will be with us forever. Newsflash, he will leave us. He may not be next season, but I think after, you know, in two summers time, that will be Messi gone. Uh, as I keep saying, I, I hope that I'm wrong. And uh, I'm sure lots of listeners hope that I'm wrong, but I don't think we should lose perspective of the privilege that we are living, of having the best player to ever play football anywhere in the world to be with us for so long.
2: Right. And, and nature of that shock is going to be something that you and I have talked about since we started this pod more than three years ago now. So we've been talking about the the finale, the twilight of Messi's career, because as you mentioned, when you're speaking about the greatest football ever to lace up a pair of boots, you're also talking about the era that comes after it. And regardless of what happens, I think this is gonna be the biggest challenge that I'm hoping we're still doing the show then and things are flying high and we have even more listeners at that point. But I think when it comes to Messi finally leaving, when it is time, I'm glad it's not gonna be in a shock way to Man City or to PSG or to wherever The only two or three clubs that could afford him in the next three, four years could be two when he does finally leave Barcelona, uh, either to go back to Argentina, to new old boys, or to just, again, hang it up and retire. I know it's going to be a big, big challenge on how we talk about Barca because Barca with Messi always has a chance. And Barca without Messi, regardless of the players, is going to be a lesser team. So we have to understand that Barca might still be able to win Champions Leagues year after year, but there's always going to be a bigger task and a bigger challenge. And I think one of the things we're going to, we're not here to talk about Messi's legacy because Messi's going to, he's got plenty of history even for the 2019-2020 season to play out. So I think we'll we'll focus back on that. But I just wanted to wrap it up by saying, yeah, his legacy is not yet even written. I think he's already the greatest player in ever. Uh, and I think a lot of people started to say that by the time he was 25, 26 already. Maybe he could have won more Champions Leagues, but again, the story isn't yet written, and I'm hopeful that there are more trophies to be put into that trophy case for the Argentines. And so I do want to talk about, as we get La Ronda started, the help that he's going to have, particularly some of the help that he's going to get coming back from this break. Minor asked... With Luis Suarez and Dembele making the recoveries, how soon will they be integrated into the starting eleven, and will they finish the season unscathed? This route adds, will this break enable Antoine Griezmann to grow into a better fit in the team than before? Frances, I'll let you go first on this one.
1: Okay, uh, first things first, I don't think Dembele is fully fit yet. Um, I would say that Luis Suarez is the safest bet to start the first game um, at Mallorca. Um, Dembele, I think still will have, in my eyes, two or three more games, not weeks, because obviously there's going to be a game every three to four days. So it's not going to be weeks. It's going to be probably a space of 12 days, if my maths don't fail me. And I think Dembele will be ready to come back then. So I do expect Luis Suarez to be the first one out. Um, Obviously... Luis Suarez, similarly to Messi, to be honest, he's one of the best players to ever play the game, especially uh, as the striker position, especially in modern times. He's got nothing to prove to anyone. Um, he was fantastic at Liverpool. He's been instrumental at Barca. I was doing some some writing this week that I'm sure most of our audience know at barcablog.com. We are publishing many more articles of late, and one of them was especially on, on Luis Suarez. And he's already in the top five. I think he's fourth all-time of the Barca goalscorer's list, so clearly you're not going to move his position. He's going to be the starting striker. Uh, Messi could play either wing, I would have thought, unless Etienne has something up his sleeve that I don't foresee. Uh, Messi's going to probably start as a right wing, uh, but then obviously being Messi will go wherever he wants, wherever he sees. And I would say uh, Griezmann is going to go back up to, to the wing again, uh, in this case the left wing. I do think Griezmann does have a point to prove. Um, I think that he was decent as a striker, uh, but not as good as Suarez has been and probably can be coming back, especially given the fact that he looks incredibly sharp. So um, I would expect Griezmann to continue to grow in confidence, in influence, in association and be effective from the wings. Um, Dembélé, as always, I think is... How can I say it politely? I think he's a, he's an unexpected... He's, he's, he could be fantastic, he could, you know, run towards the byline, he can cross towards the middle and, and score a hat-trick, or he could just get injured in the first minute. We just, just don't know what Dembélé will bring, but um, I, I do like the fact that he's someone different, someone who can unbalance, and someone who, you know, we as fans don't really know what he will do, imagine the opponent. So it's a, it's a stirrer, it's a mixer, it's an unstabilizer, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, I actually have an NBA comparison for you, it for Mani Dembele that I was thinking of as you were saying that. And we don't really count on him, but we know that when he's going to play, people might be critical of his first touch or some of the decisions he's made. But under Kike Setien, as he continues to prove, he's still... Uh, he's still in his early 20s. And so I think his mind and what he's doing with Kike Setian is still going to be able to help him get along if he can stay on the field. And so I was thinking about the NBA comparison and back uh, in about 05, 06, 07, Brandon Roy of the Portland Trailblazers, that was a guy that could kill a team. I mean, that was a guy who could put up 50 points in a game, but his knees just degenerated so quickly. I think he only played maybe six professional seasons in the NBA. But when he was on the court you trusted him. He was I mean not one of the best players in the league. He wasn't like even at that time he wasn't LeBron, he wasn't Kobe, right? He wasn't Kevin Garnett. But he was a guy that was certainly a top player in the game when he was on the court, but he just couldn't stay healthy. And that is what I'm feeling with Dembele where when he is on the court or when he well in this case when he's on the field, it is electric, but because he can't stay on the on the field, we just have a hard time trusting him to be healthy and to be there for these games. And so I, that's what I would say, that he's not going to be registered even to play in the Liga. That's Martin Braithwaite. And then the inverse, Dembele is still in the Champions League and Martin Braithwaite could not be registered for that. So, I mean, we don't know how much Champions League is going to be left and how they're even going to go about doing that. Uh, we know much more about La Liga, obviously, because the Champions League is still a few, a few weeks and months away. So the hope, I think, is that Dembele is going to get at least in enough shape to come on and unbalance a match in the 70th to 80th minute. And then on the other side of this break, Frances, I'm going to I'm going to bore you, put you to sleep a little bit with some stats, but again, just like you rock the baby, I'm going to put you to sleep but then we're going to wake you up in a hurry. So let's hit to that break first. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner Bet Online. NASCAR is back and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24/7. Or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And live right now on BetOnline's YouTube channel, you'll find an exclusive interview with ex chicagos Bulls, Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling The Final Dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Back from this break, Frances, I've got some stats for you on Luis Suarez and Antoine Griezmann. As again, I'm going to put that Dembele talk behind us. Dan, yeah. Dan, can I just pop
1: out a second and get a blanket? Because you did say you were going to bore me. So go ahead.
2: <sighs> <laughs> okay, so here, I'm going to give you some misleading stats. Suarez is actually, he's only started 56% of Barca's games in the league this year, only played 53% of the minutes this season, and has participated in 28% of the goals, that being 11 goals and 7 assists. Meanwhile, in the Champions League is 57% of the starting lineups, 62% of the minutes, and 60% goal participation, 3 goals and 3 assists. Barca were without him for the 0-0 draw against Slavia Prague, and the 1-1 against Napoli. Now, La Liga stats are obviously misleading because he's not coming off the bench like you and I had talked about at the beginning of the year where, you know, he might be phased out a little bit as he was looking older, but he's a starter when he plays. He has missed 10 La Liga games a season, eight of them coming after his knee surgery in January. So if he is healthy, he is going to start and he has had a decent season, at least for what he has been on the field for. But this has actually been an injury riddled season for Luis Suarez, but we don't think of it that way because he always plays when he is fit. Meanwhile, Antoine Griezmann is almost the opposite in these stats. His stats are a little more honest. In terms of starts, 93% in the Liga, 86% in Champions League. In terms of total minutes, 88% in the Liga, 84% in Champions League. Now the wording stat, 19% goal participation in the Liga, 80 goals and 4 assists, 20% in Champions League, which works out to 2 goals. He's also scored 3 goals in the Copa del Rey campaign, including that comeback against Ibiza. So it's 14 goals and 4 assists on the year so far. The problem with Antoine Griezmann that we still have to talk about with his production is obviously the price tag. Last year for Atletico, the player that they were buying, it was 21 and 10, and the year before that, it was 29 goals and 15 assists. Comparing that to another Barcelona player, Frances, Alexis Sanchez actually finished with 15 goals and six assists in 2011 12, 11 goals and 13 assists in 2012 13. Then finally, in his third season at Barca, he follows it up with 21 goals and 16 assists. Now, Alexis Sanchez was a lot cheaper and younger at the time, obviously, when he came, but it should be a reminder that playing up top with Messi and playing for Barcelona is not a a given. It's not something that is given to happen right away, regardless of the class of player. So for Antoine Griezmann, I, I guess I'm hopeful that this right now is the beginning of year two more than it is the end of year one because of this break. I mean, getting—I mean, I, you can have to understand that Griezmann and Kike Setien must have been in some kind of contact. So if there is some understanding that Antoine Griezmann has garnered, and maybe there are things just relative to Barcelona that he's been working on individually, that's, I mean, the big hope. So I, I think I'm a little hopeful about Griezmann coming back here.
1: Yeah, and obviously numbers, as I always say, very rarely lie. Um, the, the problem with Griezmann is the number of his transfer fee, really. Um, also, the fact that Coutinho and Dembele were signed before him for also a huge, insane, I want to say obscene amount of money, especially given the current circumstances. But obviously, it was different times. And yeah, that, that's the number he's never going to get rid of. I mean, he's already scored 14 goals, so you know if we've got 11 more matches and. Hopefully, another three, four, five in the Champions League. He could very well end up the season with, say, 25 goals um, and around 10 assists. That's a very good return for any player that um, plays at Barca with Messi. You Indeed. know, if you think about the, the returns that David Villa used to get, or even Thierry Henry, or even Samuel Eto'o himself. You know, they were not really too far away from the 25, 30 goal mark. And I think that if Suarez, and Messi score the amount of goals they're meant to score, then the return of 25 is is actually very good. Um, you mentioned there in passing the, the contact with, with Setien. And uh, again, I wrote about this this week in, in ambassador block. And I mean, Setien should have been using every single second of every single day, obviously to relax and, and you know to protect his family, etc., obviously first. But to establish those mechanisms, those teachings, those communications, those conversations to to, to really instill in his players what he's trying to achieve. I mean, let's not forget that for reasons that still escape me, and I think that um, the vast majority of uh, listeners will will agree with me here, for reasons that we cannot still comprehend, Valverde started the season despite having failed miserably, um, especially in Europe in the last couple and and humiliating or leading the humiliation. Liverpool um, in the Champions League last year but he was still chosen to start the season as we most mostly predicted he didn't finish the season because he was not the right man Um, it looked like the players really liked him uh, because he was just keeping things the same you know but as um as I always say my in my day job as well if, if you do what you've always done you will get what you've always got and there was a necessary change there and and you know the board Quite surprisingly, to be honest, uh, because I didn't think they had it in them. They were confident enough or brave enough to do it. They replaced them. But obviously, that meant that Setien was just landed in the job in the middle of the uh, the season with players who didn't necessarily want him. And having to, because he's Kike Setien, he's not going to sort of plod along with what he has. He has to change it because that's who he is. Um, he's obviously someone who follows the Cruyff philosophy really, really closely, and he just cannot play in any other way, as uh, many of Betty's supporters, and a lot of Betis supporters in my family as well, um, they would tell you that um, at Betis he was just too risky and didn't understand what he was playing for. Well, he's got a big gig, uh, he's basically coaching the the the, the dream team, uh, the team that he's always dreamed of coaching at Barca, and he can actually um, implement uh, what his philosophy is. Um, he's got the tools at his disposal. Granted, not everyone in the squad is someone that Setien would have chosen to have. But, you know, he landed at Barca and he just needs to make the most of, of the situation he was faced with. But what I'm trying to say here is that the amount of time he's had, I think it's probably 11 weeks even since we started the competition until we are going to restart in a couple of weeks' time. Um, that's plenty of time to have discussions, to to instill this philosophy, this belief, um, to look at every single video before and after his arrival to Barca. I know that, obviously, Sarabia and everyone in his team um, are keen to do this as well, even within half times, when with actual matches. Just analyse every little detail and, and correct and, you know, send a daily, weekly report to the players to, to to know what they were doing and how to do things better. So, in that respect, I think that You can never say the coronavirus break was positive, of course, but from a selfish sporting perspective, having this time to think is is very important. Plus the obvious fact that players like Suarez, but not just him, but also, you know, Messi, for example, they're going to have extended time to recover much more time than they, they had in the last probably decade in Messi's case. And all of those are all positives.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. I want to stick talking about Kike Setien with two questions from Steven and Albert. How much of a change in style do you expect to see with the squad now that Setien has gotten some personal time with all the first-team squad players? Any improvements to expect? And Albert asks, there's been a lot of questions about the player's fitness after the turn of the Liga. If Setien succeeds at implementing his desired system, would it be one of Barca's great advantages, possession football based on passing instead of excessive running? And Francis, you kind of hit all of those things. I think one of the challenges that I also want to bring up, though, with Setian's particularly a pressing system, is that it takes a lot of timing, and that is muscle memory, and that is just reps, both in training, but more importantly, in games. So I, I think some of those things, as far as where you step and how you step in a, a timing and a press, and I, I think, especially the older players, they understand that there are moments, there are, there are keys to when you recognize to press, uh, there are the the different situations that you have to be prepared for. So Kike Setien can speak to his players about those situations, but as far as reacting to them in, instinctually, it takes a little while. And the issue with Barca is because of the age of a squad. The, the positive is that you would hope that they those things come a little more naturally and they're more prepared, they're experienced, they've heard different voices, and they understand how to pick up on those cues. So I, I think one of the things I, I keep thinking, I don't have the answer to this either, that a player like an Ansu Fadi who is so young, he's still just 17. And the big knock on teenage wingers always, it's not just Ansu Fadi, it's everybody who's a teenage winger in the, in world football. Do you get on the field for their attacking talent and their ability to change a game and opponents don't know what they have with them? But defensively, that is where they always get critiqued because defensively, just being, especially in a pressing system like Setien's with older players like Suarez and Messi, if you're even two feet to the right, or if you don't track back in the right way, then you're going to get caught out of position, which means everybody's caught out of position. And my hope is that if Ansu Fadi can pick this stuff up or younger players like him, even a, a Frankie de Jong, I mean, we know that Frankie is good at pressing. He, I mean, we, he showed us everything at Ajax in a system that Kiki Setian wants to play. But if his timing is just a little bit better, if, if they've got an understanding between him and Sergio Busquets and Arthur or Artur Vidal, whoever it may be in that midfield, Rakitic, If Kike Sitián has them understanding what those cues are going to be, and then when they come back to drill it and rehearse it in this quote-unquote preseason, I think I'm hopeful for what can happen. But on the same, on that same regard, if Ansu Fadi is not playing at all in the first three weeks, and it's just Luis Suarez game in and game out, and Messi and Griezmann, and then Martin Braithwaite is the sub, and Messi, I mean, and Ansu Fadi is fifth on the depth chart, that is almost an indication to you that he didn't know how to come back. Right away, Or he, obviously, he also took an injury last uh, this, this recent week. So it could be that he's also out of form and, and injured. But if he doesn't get back any time on the field, I think there's an understanding that a younger player wasn't able to pick it up and be prepared as if this was a preseason in the way that some of the other first team players, it might come a little easier to them. But I think the easy answer here, Frances, as I throw it back to you, is that, yeah, obviously for Barcelona at their age, it would be a lot better if the ball did the work. And we didn't see that under Ernesto Valverde, uh, particularly offensively. But if Kike Setien can get the ball to do the work instead of the players, yeah, that would be terrific for Barca to be able to keep some of their legs as they have to play every three days.
1: No, absolutely. I fully agree with that. I think that going back to the original question from from our listener, it's just I don't see that there will be a huge change to the way Barca were playing. But I certainly do expect an improvement based um, on all of the reasons that, that we obviously just discussed. Um, I don't want people to forget that we were not that great before the break. You know, we, we lost to Madrid 2-0, and deservedly so, to be honest. Um, then we just won the last match. I think it was a penalty from Messi um, that, that gave us the three points. And in terms of the quality of football, it just wasn't there. But at least we got the three points at the end, which obviously give us the advantage at the moment. We are two points ahead. And that's going to be that's going to be a key focus moving forward, to be fair, because, you know, we are There's not going to be any interruptions in terms of Champions League games in the middle. So our full focus, as Arturo Vidal said this week, is 11 finals. We have to be favorites because, you know, we are leading La Liga now. Um, There are several difficult matches left especially the last four or five are actually quite difficult to be honest but I do think that um, in terms of um, game in terms of formation in terms of mechanisms there won't be a huge change uh, but I do I do expect an improvement um, when you were answering you mentioned ansu fati and I know that's not what listeners want to hear but I don't think ansu Fati is going to play I don't want to say again this season for the first team but I, I, I to be honest I, I see very difficult that he would get any time out uh, because obviously if Suarez and Dembele as predicted and expected come back and with Martin Braithwaite being there, I do see him as the sixth forward and I don't think we're going to need him. Plus, um, it's very obvious that Barca need reinforcements. I mean, they are going to be involved in the in the uh, playoffs to get promoted to Segunda División. That would be huge for the club, um, for reasons that, you know, we've discussed very clearly in much more depth over the last three years in the podcast. But absolutely, Ansu Fati, Collado, they, they have to be with the B team. So unfortunately, I know it's this is unpopular to say, but I don't think Ansu Fati plays a lot more for the first team this season.
2: Yeah, I think the odd thing about that situation, though, Frances, I agree with your point that he could see his minutes severely diminished as he did when Martin Braithwaite was even brought over when Luis Forrest was injured. But Fransu Fadi, he hasn't played with Barcelona B this season. So I think it actually is an interesting challenge that Pimienta would have to try to put him in to that squad. And just even terms of the politics of that squad, all that said, he played with them in preseason. And that's why he was playing with Barca's first team because he was dominating in the Barca B preseason. So I think that's a good point that I'm hopeful that that is what the club goes with. I'm just a little weary because they haven't really mentioned that, that that is going to be the case moving forward. So he might just wind up riding the bench on the first team. But as I said, he's only 17. So it's not like this is going to completely derail him for have especially with the situation with COVID and the break and all these different things. Uh, I'm not as worried about him. I think he has plenty more time and it's going to be all about just results when it comes to the last two and a half months of this season. And Sigborn kind of asked a similar question. Can this break be at all positive for Barcelona? And as you said earlier in the show, Frances, there is really no positive to take from this. However, for Barcelona, we've already spoken about Luis Suarez's health and Dembele's health, and maybe the time that Setien gets to implement his plans with the players. And as you can hear outside, it seems like they're doing a little bit of yard work. They're doing a little bit of cleanup outside. And that's how I feel about Messi too. I hope that he's cleaning up and doing what he was doing. I'd say even before the break, it's crazy to think. And here's again, the biggest positive I can take out of the time that Barca had off. February 22nd, three weeks before everything shut down, Messi scored four goals in a 5-0 win against Abar. And to say it's just Abar, it's a disservice to Messi scoring four goals in a La Liga match. Seven days later, they did lose 2-0 in El Clasico, like you said, and then all of that form for Messi was forgotten. In both those games though, Messi was clearly languishing with some kind of injury. And if Messi is healthy, he can stay healthy, he's the main reason this break had any positives to draw from. I I just wanna even try to understand and fathom that if he had a knock like that and scored four goals in a game, What player can score two goals when they have a a, a boo-boo on their knee or their toe? What player can even score a brace like that? And he scored four goals uh, against Abar before the break. Spain is also hot in the summertime, but so are some of the other locations that they play in international tournaments. So I'm not as worried. And Barcelona, as far as the climate, they might struggle on the road, when it's down in Sevilla or, I, I again, I have to look at the schedule again, but Sevilla, Granada, whoever's playing down there, Sevilla, Granada, even Betis. So those are the locations that I think it's going to be a little more difficult for as Spain gets hotter. But Barcelona, is at a. I mean, you were there, Frances, you live there. It's a pretty nice climate all year round.
1: Yeah, and especially now, um, it's not about as bad as Qatar right now. I've got the air aircon off and it's 43 degrees outside. So, you know, it doesn't get as bad as that in Spain. But, um, no, I have looked at the schedule. You've got Sevilla away. You've got, obviously, in the southern Spain. Celta, which obviously is Galicia. Uh, so that's in the north, north, northeast. Um, Villarreal away. So that's the three difficult ones that Barca have to face. And then at the Camp Nou, I would say three more difficult matches left are Bilbao, Atletico Madrid, and Espanol. Um, none of those are Madrid, obviously, because we've already lost to them. But I think that if we can... And I haven't sort of listed the other four or five matches we've got because I'm assuming we will win those, um, says he, being all optimistic. But if we can beat those six, I think we win La Liga. And I don't think it's unrealistic to expect that uh, Barca, given our budget, given our history, given the fact that we've got, you know, we've had a break um, that has allowed everyone to recharge batteries, given the manager more time to communicate and, and to implement his style. I think we've got a very good chance of winning La Liga, but obviously that would all depend on keeping momentum and, as, as we said last week, staying away from injuries.
2: Yeah, I agree with that too. Eric asked, with so many games in such a short time, do you think it makes sense to rotate the same group of players so that there can be some consistency and familiarity among the players or to mix and match each game based on fitness levels and how well someone is playing? And to quickly answer Eric's question, I think it's not going to be a matter of doing what Pep Guardiola does and trying to tinker against your opponent. I think Barca play every 3 days. So if you saw whoever it may be, if you see Luis Suarez on Saturday and Tuesday, don't expect to see him the following Saturday. And I think that's just how it's going to work out. It's it's going to be that when you say about the same group of players Eric Barca only have, they still have only what, 14 first team players or something, <laughs> right? They don't yep. have they don't have any players. This is the group. So it's merely going to be rotation of the group that they have. And we talked about Ansu Fadi maybe getting frozen out, but I do think that it's, yeah, it's just going to basically be the same 14 players that do play in the first team of FC Barcelona, and then they're just going to rotate as such. And that's just, again, going to be because of how many games are in a short amount of time. So expect to see Rakitic, but you're going to see, I think, I don't even know if, if Kike Setien will almost reveal his hand early on, but you're going to basically see a starting 11 and then you're gonna see where everybody else lies on the depth chart afterwards. So if in the first game you see Vidal, De Jong, and Busquets, okay, well, I guess we can assume that that is either midfield A or midfield B, and Arter would be the third in a midfield A or B, right? And then Rakitic is the fifth, or make that the sixth midfielder off the bench. So you would just kind of be able to deduce that early on and figure out what the depth chart is more than it is even the rotation.
1: With that, I think players like Ter Stegen, which is not an issue, but let's let's list them. Ter Stegen, I would say Pique, Lenglet, De Jong, and Messi in particular, I highly doubt they will be allowed to rotate. Um, I'm not saying they won't need it, because obviously they're human, but especially those ones, um, I think that they're going to have a lot of matches. But to be honest, um, given the break, it could actually be good if the same players play, especially the first two, three games. Um, in order to regain their, their pick first. And uh, obviously, I think, as we mentioned last week as well, whoever picks first has an advantage over the others. So um, players like um, I don't know Jordi Alba with Junior, that should be switched around, with Alba obviously having the advantage if he remains fit. Um, Sergio Roberto and Semedo, obviously Semedo trapped in the middle of a lot of uh, transfer speculation, but I would say they both get used the same amount of time. We probably, Sergio Roberto being used a little bit more, uh, Busquets, I think, is going to be used pretty much all the time as well. Uh, but obviously, the young can go in, into that position. Um, all the others, there's quite a lot of interiores uh, if no one gets injured once again. And then we've already spoken up front. Um, but I think if you've got 15, 16 players, which we do, that avoid injury, which we don't know, then it is possible that they, they could go, you know, the whole Liga and, and we'll still be quite strong. The problem comes if we lose anyone.
2: Right. And I, pocket and Pancho, we're asking about this five substitute rule that has been put into place. Now with five substitutes allowed, do you think we will get to see more La Masia and Barca B players in the mix? This is from Polkit. What do you think of letting Tadibo and Xavier Mbayamba, who is not left yet, but he is reportedly not happy with Barca, wants to see his way out. We're not talking about their them leaving. I'm not talking about Mbayamba leaving. But do you think we desperately need defenders? Are Barca really going to rely on unfit MTT and Ronald Araujo for the future? Then Pancho asks, Setien said the five-substitute rule was not so good for him. What's your take on them adding two extra subs? And to to even clarify more of what Pancho was saying, Kike Setien is concerned at the fact that Barca, and this has been now for so much of Barca's years, basically since Johan Cruyff took over, that Barca wear you down. They pass the ball around you. They wear you down. And if you bunker in like a Leganés S or if you're Real Valladolid, those kind of teams that really bunker in, eventually Barca break through those those, those will say lesser teams in the Liga because they've gotten tired and they only have three substitutes to use. That eventually, Barca break through. And Kike Setian's whole fear about this is that with those two extra subs, they're just going to continue to revitalize their squad, and Barca is never going to tie them down enough to get that breakthrough. They're just going to run out of time. And so, I think Kike Settian is kind of indicating that if you see a few draws moving forward, not losses, but a few draws from Barca, and I think worst case scenario, as I think it is normally, but even even heightened with the now five substitutes that if Barca concede early to, let's say, two Saturdays from now, Leganes, if they concede early, goodness gracious, Leganes might as well just lie down on top of each other in front of the goal and then put in an extra five guys halfway through after those guys have been hit with the ball enough and taken a beating because that's kind of what you're going to see here. And, you know, it's not, I still don't think we're going to see Araujo and uh, La Masia players or even Barca B players because as you had mentioned, Frances that Barca B is dealing with their own playoff as well and those players might be able to train sure but Rakitic is six on the depth chart in the midfield Ansu Fadi may not get be used because he's fifth on the depth chart so Kike Setian, if he chooses to use subs and I think Barca our team even though they are older they're still less likely to use a sub because the drop-off from Messi to Ansu Fadi, as promising as Vati is is a gigantic drop-off if you were to take Messi off the field. I know that doesn't even happen, but if you took jumping, you know what I mean, going from Jordi Alba to Junior Firpo, if Alba's able to play and working hard, it's still a big drop-off in talent. So I don't expect Kike Setien to ever use his five subs. Maybe he'll use two or three almost at the most. Barca just aren't a team that subs a lot regardless of the manager because of the quality they have in their starting 11. So I I think it might actually, I kind of agree with Setien and I would trust him He's a Barca manager that I'm not too excited about the five-sub rule for Barca. I think it's interesting to see how it's playing out in the rest of the world, though.
1: Yeah, I'm not excited either. People that have been listening to the podcast for the last three years know that I'm quite of a traditionalist. I found out (laughs) over the years (laughs) as I get older. And it's 3 subs. Just leave it as three-subs. For me, it didn't really need to change. Um, I do understand that football... This I hate this phrase, but the new normal sort of thing. So they had to change something, and that's what they decided. Um, so you know we, we we live with that, but I just don't like it. Um, I think Setien is right that um, to to say what he said. I'm not going to repeat it because you just said it. Um, but I have been thinking about this, and to be honest, five subs. Barça will also be allowed five subs, right? So, and as as much of a drop off it is uh, that you just explained, the drop off from whoever starts from Eibar, for example. To the fifth su- substitute at Eibar is actually gonna be worse for them than it would be for us. I mean, you've got pretty much everyone in our bench is an international player uh, or a potentially international player. Um, so whoever we can bring in is gonna be better than whatever Getafe can bring in, you know? So so I think that we need to take that into consideration as well. But as I said, I could have lived without this um, this rule being introduced, to be honest.
2: Wow, yeah, Francis, you're really going with a positive attitude today. It's 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 a breath of fresh air. It's nice to see. <laughs> good, good. <After laughs> down. Yeah, and as Paul Kitt also mentioned in that question, that yeah, I, I it, this is not the season where especially as it is a race to the end of the season to get as many trophies, being the La Liga and Champions League trophies that the two that are still available. So it is a race to the end of the season. And that means that they are not going to trust a 17 to 20 year old player. Uh, yeah, and I know that Puj and Kayad are getting up there. But as I said, Barca B, they're going to be busy with their playoffs. So they've got something working on there. I think most importantly, when we speak about La Masi and Barca B, I don't believe it's happened yet at the time of recording, but Francisco Pimienta is still waiting for a contract renewal. And I know we don't talk about him a lot but uh the training and the guys that are the coaching that is working down in la masia and i've been taking this break to understand the importance of alex garcia who, ha- who left Barca, I think, back in 2011. But he had worked with Fabregas and Messi and Pique. And the impact that those guys have on when the La Masia players are 13, 14, 15 can't be understated. So when it says that Barca are overhauling their coaches at La Masia, uh, those are big deals. Those are big stories. And to not bring Pimienta, who is a La Masia guy, who, you know, I- I'm not saying that he deserves to be the next in line or successor to the first team, because that's the only time he really comes up. But I think I do want to just recognize that It's a difficult job to be the Barca B manager because you don't know where your career is going to be going next. But I think he's done a really good job to get them into the playoff spots, into the third division, and we'll see what he can do moving forward. But I think even if they fail to win those playoffs, I think Pimienta deserves at least another year or two. Because I think the work that he does is invaluable to preparing these players for the first team. It's just a matter of whether or not they get their opportunities. So I do want to see that contract renewal if it hasn't happened already. So Frances let's wrap up with a it's not really a question. It's more of a statement from Dirk. Just something to think about. And I want to see your response here. The potential Lutaro-Martinez deal wouldn't it be just a continuation of the transfer policy that landed us Dembele, Coutinho, and Griezmann in recent years. It even historically landed us players like Ibrahimovic, Overmars, or Seviola. All players which came to the camp know with heavily inflated price tags and then struggled mightily and ultimately failed to justify their transfer fee. Instead, don't we generally do better with signings of the kind that brought players like Figo, Ronaldinho, Deco, Alves, Rivaldo, etc. to the club? These players weren't cheap by any stretch, but their transfer fees were were equal to realistic expectations from that vantage point wouldn't we categorically be better off signing a player like Timo Werner for RB Leipzig who combines tangible value with a reasonable acquisition cost and a limited investment risk I wonder in fact if Barca would perhaps be wiser if as a matter of principle they wouldn't engage in those very high-end transfers Bayern Munich for instance refrains from engaging the transfer market at the very top end and overall I think they have done well with that policy. Now, Dirk, the quick response here is that we obviously know that Barca have earmarked Latoura Martinez and Inter are now kind of changing their tune. They don't want to sell and they want to, at least they want to get as much money as possible. So we actually don't know how far along those negotiations are. Maybe this is just some posturing for Inter Milan before this deal kind of gets over the line. You and I, Frances, have said that we think Lautaro Martinez is the only big deal that could happen this summer, maybe the only deal that Barca is going to to make this year. But the one thing I do want to add to all that, uh, Dirk, is unfortunately, unlike Figo, Deco, I mean, kind of Dani Alves, though he was in La Liga, and even Rivaldo, we're at a point with the world and scouting and, and football where you know about 17, 18-year-old kids on the bench of teams in Argentina and Brazil. The scouting and our understanding of players and they just the sheer amount of footage and ability that scouts have. And funny you bring that up because Barca also cut their scouting department in half. We don't exactly know what that is going to mean moving forward. They said that they were doing that not out of not because of covid-19 but that that was a plan to restructure how their scouting department was moving so maybe barca are going to be even less resources in this but i would say that yeah i think an unfortunate thing about barca is that they don't work the way that bayern munich works but i think the other thing that bayern munich have going for them that barca doesn't is that you know Borussia dortmund and whingen gladbach and bayer leverkusen they can and rb leipzig they can all pretend that they're trying to fight for the bundesliga crown but Bayern Munich wins it year in and year out, and it is very low risk for players domestically to go to Germany. And Bayern Munich is also one of the top teams in the world, so they still get a shot at winning a Champions League. So Bayern Munich winds up really being a good spot for players. And we have seen in recent years for Barca, the number one reason to go to Barca if you're a top player is to get paid. And I think a lot of players also have different ambitions. And for Timo Werner, he is a German player, and we do not see and it. it is a difficult task for for Barcelona and even Real Madrid. I mean, they've had good Germans, you know, Bern Schuster for both teams. And you've seen, um, obviously, Tony Cruz for Real Madrid recently. And obviously our guy, marc under Ter Stegen in the Barca net. So Germans do come occasionally to the big teams in Spain but Bayern Munich they have a much easier shot at waiting for the contracts of German players to get to zero and then bring them for a much cheaper number so Timo Werner I think that is a complicated thing if if Liverpool aren't willing to pay what RB Leipzig have said that his price tag is I think that's not even speaking about or comparing the players that Latoura Martinez and Timo Werner are and trying to decide who's better as far as what's on the field but just from the the money aspect of it I think the Latar Martinez, believe it or not, is more straightforward in negotiations, is going to go on like a saga. And I think with Timo Werner and a lot of German players, they're not willing to go and have this back and forth and do the dance that it seems like Barca and even Real Madrid and the Spanish teams tend to do. They dance around things because of the release clauses in Spain, and it winds up that these German players just and their agents do not have the patience for that.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to get into the Bayern Munich debate, but I'll just say that Bayern Munich last won the Champions League in the 2012-2013 season. So they must be doing fairly well with the signings, but we won a Champions League before they did last. Uh, And I am saying that because, you know, with all due respect... It looks like because of um, historical reasons, etc. I'm not an expert in German football by any by any stretch. But the vast majority of German players end up wanting to play for Bayern Munich. So winning the local league cannot be that hard when you got the best players from one of the best footballing um, nations in the whole of the history of football. And certainly today, wanting to play for the same team. So that put aside, I'm sure I'm going to be hugely unpopular for saying that, but there you go. That's my opinion. Um, Lautaro, um, I think that we don't, Pasta don't have to chase Lautaro this summer. If Dembele, Coutinho, and Griezmann had worked as expected, it looks like we got stung, especially with the Coutinho and Dembele transfers. Uh, and obviously, hindsight is, uh, is, is a very thing, very powerful thing to have on your side. But I certainly think that Lautaro would not be a necessity, so we would have invested this money elsewhere, or we wouldn't have to invest any money at all, and the La Masia players would be growing, which is obviously what what here in the podcast is what we continue to advocate: La Masia first. But Barça have always, in the last 30, 40, 50 years, have always, especially since Krovi was signed um, initially, not as a manager but as a player, always gone after the best player available in the market. And this normally, traditionally, has been someone that that plays up front. And as as you mentioned, I think Lautaro Martinez is the best available option on the market. I think Mbappe is out of reach, uh, in particular. I think someone like Harry Kane is probably also out of out of reach. And to be honest. It's debatable whether you want to sign someone of Hurricane's age or you want to go for a 23-year-old from Argentina who is likely to be directly under Messi's wing, both in the hypothetically Barça team, but also nationally. Which for Messi, you know, in his you know in his personal timeline, is going to be very important to to build those those relationships so that he can finally succeed at, at, at you know international level and hopefully the next World Cup. So I do think Lautaro Martinez is the right. Person to go for this summer. I do think he's got the potential. I do think that he won't. It won't be. It would be a bit like an, an open melon in a in a way. But I think that that's what we have to do uh, because he's the best available option. And as for signing anybody else for lesser money, you would be getting a lesser player at this moment in time, unless you can get someone like Haaland maybe. But I don't think I don't see that happening. I do see Haaland more of a Real Madrid player, to be honest. Hopefully, I'm wrong on that one as well. But uh, yeah, that's that's my opinion. You go for the best available player in the market as long as you've got the fans. And obviously, as I wrote in Basta Blog this week as well, is w- who you have to sell off so you can meet those valuations.
2: Yeah, it's hard to even put, when you said that Holland was a feels to you like a Real Madrid player. It's an interesting thing, and I wonder uh, what's happening subconsciously to us when we hear a name or we see a player, and when we see Mbappe or first hear from him, and you go, oh, that's a Real Madrid player. What makes him a Real Madrid player and Barta Barca player? And the same thing with Holland, where people tell you it seems like the media if, if, if they photoshop enough Real Madrid jerseys on and then you start to believe that he's going to go to Real Madrid and he wouldn't ever come to a team like Barcelona. And so I, I think the same thing even could be said of Latar Martinez that he got earmarked to be a Barca player. And then the, that narrative just keeps getting pushed and pushed and pushed. So I would say to Dirk that if it was Timo Werner, if Barca at somewhere were wiser and things were able to, to, to they kept things close to the vest. And all of a sudden, instead of Latarra Martinez for 111, they wind up swinging Timo Werner for 60 million. I think that's fine. I, I would not be I would not be heartbroken to see a, a player like Timo Werner, who I, I I would argue that he is the best German forward that that footballing country has at their disposal at the moment. I mean, Robert Lewandowski obviously is Polish, plays for Bayern Munich, is their number nine. So Timo Werner. I think at Barca, he would even fit as well. Latar Martinez and Werner do a few different things. L'Artiro is much better with his back to goal and laying off and working through the middle. And Werner is, I don't think he is just a speedster though, down the wing. But his ability to play as a left wing, but be very influential as we'll say as a number nine in the box. I mean, he basically is a supercharged, much younger version of what Martin Braithwaite actually brings to the club and RB Leipzig is a pressing club. So I think Timo Werner in all of his characteristics would actually really fit well At Barcelona in terms of the position he plays, the role he's had in his career, and his ability to just get some goals as well. So I would not be upset at all with $60 on Timo Werner. But I I think, again, the way that Barca negotiate and the way that information gets leaked out, and again, that transfer policy, it's not even a policy. It's what Francesco, you started with by saying that by not getting return on investment on Dembele, Coutinho, and Griezmann, Barca are left with continuing to try to put band-aids on it. And now it looks like it's a transfer policy, but it's not. It was merely they were getting good players in an inflated market and thought that they were gonna be the next stars. And because they didn't become the stars they were going to, Barca are in a really, really bad position. And, uh, you know, that's, again, I'm not even putting blame on anybody that for a lot of different reasons, those players didn't work out. But as I said, if it's Laturo, if it's Werner, and if it's nobody, I think all three of those are, are likely or all three of those might not happen. And I think we just have to roll with it either way. So, Frances, before we wrap up, are you good with just rolling to the end of the show? Yep, let's go. All right, so I just wanna thank everybody again from the start of this show to all those listener questions in La Ronda. It was an interesting show today, a lot to have covered, a lot to have talked about, a lot to have thought about. So I wanna thank everybody. I I know I thank everybody every week for tuning in, but I wanna thank everybody for kind of going through all this whole thing with us um, and talking about all the things we we spoke about, and just continuing to be here and supporting us, supporting the show. So if you want to keep doing that, check out the show notes to subscribe to us. You can find us on social media too. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at d thirteen for me on Instagram. We've been a lot more active. You see, we went quiet there for a while, but we're being a little more active now at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group is tbpod.link backslash group for deeper dives and discussions. You can also help us out on Patreon as always, tbpod.link backslash Patreon. And with Lilia coming back, that means that quick take match reviews are coming back on Patreon as well. So that is something to look forward to as we head into the rest of the 2019-2020 season. And as always, we are making weekly videos that are just on YouTube they are related to topics in the podcast but it's just on youtube at the barcelona podcast but a lot more i'll say on la masia i really do try to put a little more emphasis on la masia over there on the youtube channel so check us out there hit that subscription button we are very close to 1,000 subscribers so i will say if at this point if 20 of you or so go over and subscribe on youtube we'll hit a thousand subscribers so that would be cool to see as well so as always i'm excited for football to come back as a Frances. and we want to thank you for listening to the barcelona podcast until next time we'll talk to you soon and Forza Barça.
1: Forza!